Hi, and welcome to the Faith That Does Justice podcast, the official podcast of campus ministry at John Carroll University. Join us this semester as we hang out with some of your favorite faculty and staff as we try to figure out what it means to live a faith that does justice. I'm Ann McGinnis, and I'm joined by my wonderful colleagues, John Scarano, Kathleen Sardone, and Jarrell Cisan. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for being here. And your podcast voice is really good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jarrell. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> that was good. I think I'm excited to be um, with John again to ask him some some more fun questions. He had like such a crazy uh, such a crazy origin story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was that's cool here, so. Um, Baptized six times. Baptized six times, John. That's what you remember. <laughs> and in There's a pool, a river. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Good. How are you? How are you, Kathleen? I'm good. Um, I'm excited to be here to follow up, and I'm excited that you're with us, Anne, this time. Thank you. It's great to be here. How are you today, John? Oh, I'm hanging in there. Um, and and you do have a great podcast voice, but I'm just I'm here to tell you not to quit your day job. Okay? <laughs> John, I had big dreams to be the next uh, next Krista Tibbet. <laughs> there you go. Um, and I'm doing well. I'm outside on my patio enjoying this lovely day. So all is good. Well, let's jump into the prayer, John. We'd love if you could open us, um, open this podcast up with a prayer and then sure. share a little bit about the significance with us. So uh, this is something that I actually read this morning uh, again for like the 20th time. Uh, it's from um, Ted Loder's Gorillas of Grace. And the prayer is called Make Me Simple. Hmm. Oh, ingenious God. I rejoice in your creation and pray that your spirit touch me so deeply that I will find a sense of self, which makes me glad to be who I am and yet restless at being anything less than I can become. Make me simple enough not to be confused by disappointments, clear enough not to mistake busyness for freedom honest enough not to expect truth to be painless, brave enough not to sing all my songs in private, compassionate enough to get in trouble, humble enough to admit trouble and seek help, joyful enough to celebrate all of it, myself and others and you, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, John. That was beautiful. Welcome. Welcome. I love the Gorillas of Grace book. Oh it's my phenomenal. God. What a prayer. Yeah, it's a pretty awesome prayer. Ted Loder is an awesome guy. So, in all of your years reading from Gorillas of Grace, I don't recall you reading that one to us. Can you tell us a little bit that. about it? Well, you know, I, I was, I, I met with two different students this morning in, you know, doing spiritual direction. And, uh, and this really struck me as I was meeting with them, how important it is uh, to, to see yourself in the simplest possible way um, as a child of God, and also to be, to be challenged uh, and to challenge 
those around you, um, but not lose sense of the fact that it's not about you. You're not that important. Life is hard. You're not in control. All of that good stuff, I think, that comes from a really healthy spirituality. So that's why I chose this prayer. Awesome. Thank you, John. Yeah. Well, you know, we're here today to talk about wisdom tips from a life in ministry with you. And um, this prayer fits very well with the topic of the day. And I don't know if you remember me telling you this before, but I've, I've asked you to, to take a sabbatical, <laughs> to find a way to take a sabbatical to write a book about ministry, because the world needs your wisdom tips. Um, so with that brief intro, I'm going to let Jarrell lead off with the first question about ministry today. Oh, man. Okay, so I have something written down. Um, John, <laughs> I am a young professional with big dreams, um, probably always overcommitted, wanting to do so many things, also, um, but also have a family to balance. <laughs> what, if you could go back to speak to your 30, I'm 32, if you can go back to say something to your 32-year-old self, what would you say to 32-year-old to John Scarano? That's a great question. Uh, and, and I think you've heard me talk about balance before. Uh, to me, the two most important lessons that you learn in ministry are, are, are balance and boundaries. And the older you get, the less boundaries become an issue. But balance never stops being an issue in the life of a minister. When I think back to myself at 32 years old, I had, uh, I had two children when I was 32. I was at the University of Miami in Florida. I was the director of the Catholic Student Center there. Um, and, I, and many of you have heard me say this before, but, but in, my, in my first year of marriage, uh, I, was, um, I, I didn't allow marriage to change the way I did my work, the way I did my ministry. Um, I was I was uh, uh, in trouble uh, with with uh, with my marriage. I think within the first year, because I didn't I didn't prioritize uh, what I needed to prioritize. I I felt that God was calling me to minister, and that was my priority. I didn't realize that God was also calling me to be a good husband and to be a good father. Um, so. My wife had one of those come to Jesus talks with me. And, uh, and that's when we decided that I was going to have dinner at home more days a week than not. That seems like a crazy, silly, easy thing. It was ridiculously hard. As you know, when you work with college students, life begins, uh, you know, at six or eight at night and ends around midnight. Um, when I was 32, I could hang with them. I no longer hang with them. But uh, I, I have to say that I, I, for the most part, have kept that promise that I sometimes I ended up eating dinner at home and then shooting back to the office. But for the most part, I made that my priority, my family, um, my wife at first, and then my wife and children uh, as time went on. So I would say to a 32-year-old John, 
you know, keep that balance in your life. That's, that's important. Make sure your priority is your home. That's a beautiful lesson in ministry, John. And I know a lot of campus ministers do not get that advice from their boss. So it's a, it's a tough lesson. We feel very grateful for you well, and sustained you. in our work. You know, here we are starting year seven. So, and it's only possible because you've encouraged that balance, I think. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, John. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, I think it's my turn. Um, I think we talk a lot about you as a mentor, um, but we would like to know a little bit about somebody who has been a mentor to you, um, how you met that him or her and uh, the impact that he or she has had on your life and your work. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's another great question. I mean, I mentioned my spiritual director, um, the last time we talked and, and uh, I mentioned that he was a United Church of Christ minister. Um, he was also uh, a faculty member in the religious studies department at the college that I went to. And his area of specialty was American uh, religious movements. Um, and so uh, I was, uh, I fell really kind of, uh, I was enthralled by his by his wisdom and his knowledge. Um, I would walk into his office and he had one of these offices where he had floor to ceiling uh, bookcases and filled to the brim with books and piles of books on the floor and piles around his desk. And I would always, I would always, you know, ask him, did you read all these books? And his <laughs> response to me was more than once. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting the opposite. <laughs> he, he looked. He looked a little bit like uh, Albert Einstein. He was a disheveled kind of, you know, white hair all over the place, and and uh, but he was but he was um, a deeply humble and and uh, and relational kind of person. Uh, so so he took me in 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 January of my senior year. There was a group of us that went to to live with and study. Uh, the Shaker religion um, up in Sabbath Day Lake, Maine. So I went with him and, and, uh, and actually before we set off on this journey, he gave me a call and he said, you know, I want to bring my son who is, who is uh, a little, you know, uh, lost in the world. His son was probably mid twenties. I was, you know, 21. And he said, and I would hope that, you know, you can find some time to spend with him uh, as we're on this trip. So he brought his son to be the quote unquote driver of this van. And uh, the entire time that we were there, which was for a month, you know, I felt like I was a part of his family. Wow. I felt like I, I, I sat with him and, and just soaked up all the wisdom that he had to share. In fact, I think I learned more from him, uh, you know, as, or at least as much from him as I did from the Shakers that I spent time with. He's the one who told me, you know, later on in our relationship, told me that not to run away from, from a church that I didn't know, um, but to get to know this church before, before you took off for Parts Unknown. And, and uh, he was a deeply faith-filled uh, and, and uh, also just a very wise, wise man. And he remained my spiritual director for 
more than 25 years after I graduated from John Carroll, from uh, Franklin Marshall College. In fact, I would call him on a regular basis and we would have our, our little uh, spiritual talks. And, and he was, um, he always, he always, I always felt like he knew more about me than I knew about myself. Um, so it was, uh, it was an incredibly wonderful relationship when he, when he died, he was, um, his daughter uh, called me and we spoke for about an hour um, and, and she wanted to call me to tell me that he had passed away and, and uh, she found all of these letters that, that I had written to him and, you know, in response to letters that he wrote to me because these were the days, of course, before the internet, before <laughs> all of the email stuff that happened. So we, we uh, phone calls and, and, and letters. Um, and so she knew how important he was in my life. Uh, and, and still to this day, I, I can't look back on my college or young adulthood without thinking of him. So that was a long answer uh, to, to, to an issue that, that for, he was by far and away uh, the, the closest uh, mentor uh, relationship that I had. Um, so oh. I thank God every day for him. That's so beautiful that it, it continued for so long. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it's awesome. And when you have those letters, you can, like, go back, you know? Um, oh, yeah. And revisit them. I mean, I mean, but after he passed away, my, my, uh, I was looking for a spiritual director, and that's when I kind of landed on uh, Father Howard Gray. Wow. Because wow. I was here. I was here at the time. And, and, awesome. and that was another beautiful experience. So, yeah. I was wondering, just to kind of piggyback off of Kathleen's question, if you had any female sort of mentors or role models in the field of ministry, um, I ask it because in my years um, doing my PhD and finishing my PhD, I had this real light bulb moment when I realized that as much as I loved history and study of religious history, I, I did not have any females around me whose lives I wanted to live. Like they were all extremely stressed out, trying to balance their kids, unhappy, you know, publishing all these books, but nothing brought them joy, which was really this light bulb moment that this career wasn't for me. So just for any females who might be listening, I was wondering if you could talk about. You know, that's that's a great question. I, you know, I have to say that probably probably the uh, the 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 people that I studied when I was uh, when I was studying for my my degrees that were mostly uh, or the people that captivated me uh, were were people like Elizabeth Schuessler Fiorenza um, uh, or or uh, or Megan McKenna or or uh, Elizabeth Ford. I mean, these are people that. Uh, Whose, whose take on, on theology uh, drew me in to a point where I, I think changed me um, and, and made me understand what, what liberation theology was all about. What, what uh, you know, Megan McKenna, I think I told you last time we talked, her four rules of scripture just continue to come back to me as I read. Uh, and and uh, I'll never forget eating, um, eating lunch with her one day uh, when she came down to, to deliver a, a, a workshop at a conference that I was uh, the program uh, chair for. And um, 
so I'm having lunch with her, and and this is this is in the mid mid to late '80s, so the whole uh, movement of inclusive language and and the women's movement in the church was happening, and I'm sitting across the table from Megan McKenna, and I said, you know, what do you think of of women's ordination? Uh, and and her response to me was, um, oh, she said, I'm all for it, but the first thousand that apply, I would turn down. I said, what are you talking about? What? what are you talking about? She says, well, yeah, if, if, if they're after ordination for the power, then they should not be after ordination. Mm. She said, I want people who feel the call uh, and, and, and don't want to play the, the don't, I, don't, I don't want female clericalism, okay? Mm-hmm. So she she was uh, you know she was prophetic in so many different ways and still and still to this day I can pick up something that she wrote and even the title of uh, uh, feeding of the five thousand you know not counting women and children that was Megan's kind of thing uh, <laughs> you know it, it drew you in it's like what do you mean not count well that's what that's what the scripture says <laughs> not counting women and children and and what she would say is they have to be counted. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, in truth, it's so crazy that in my in my life of ministry, I don't know that that I would say that there were too many women uh, uh, mentors in ministry that that I knew about in in lay ministry or whatever you want to call it. And yet, almost all of my student leaders, uh, and and almost all of the students who really made this impression and felt the call, were women. Mm-hmm. You know, even look at, you know, we're on the same campus ministry staff here. I mean, at least at least eight out of 10 uh, percentage wise uh, for, for our students are women. They're all, you know, mm-hmm. and how, how many of your CFC uh, leaders are women? 90%, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is, this is, you know, this is a reality that that uh, our, our, our I think our church needs to catch up on. You know, so Thanks. great, great question. Thanks, um, John. Yeah, yeah. This is a simple one, John. Um, are you willing to share with us one or some of your favorite memories at JCU? I think you said this. You're starting your 18th year. Is that right? Yeah, I am. Um, well, I have a lot. I have a lot of really uh, great memories at John Carroll. Uh, you know, one of the things that sticks out to me is the the very first semester that I was here, um, uh, and and I we we were doing some kind of a, a first year student orientation, and we were uh, I was over in um, Kulas. No, it wasn't Kulas. It was uh, Donahue Auditorium uh, in the Science Center. And it was myself and a student and another faculty member who I didn't know um, at the time. Uh, and and uh, the student comes up to me, you know, it's a great guy, you know, one of these football player, you know, one of these, one of these, uh, one of these, uh, you know, um, men on campus that were, that were, uh, that were tapped for everything uh, in those days. And he walks up to me and he goes, hey, I just want you to know that tie doesn't go with your belt or your shoes. <laughs> I'm like, what? He says, yeah. He said, don't you know, your tie should go with your belt and your shoes. He said, here, use my tie. And he gave me his tie uh, to, to wear so that, you know, I wouldn't be uh, uh, 
look look uh, I don't know awkward out of it you know disheveled uh, turns out that that um, you, you know this first encounter with this young man uh, he became a, a leader on our first year retreat that year <laughs> um, he is the one who introduced <laughs> me and, and you guys know how much I love fishing he introduced me to steelhead fishing in in Northeast Ohio Wow. So I, I met him like on the stream with my son in tow uh, and, and uh, he, he, he drew maps out for me and told me all these great spots. And so, so, and he's, he's one of the pictures that I have hanging up on my bulletin board um, because he, he made such a positive impression on me, uh, you know, and I felt like this is a, this is, this is why I'm here. Right. Yeah. Uh, to me, students like this, um, and I think one of the other fond memories I had was uh, was our the first time I went on Manresa, which is which is also that first semester that I was here, and and uh, I I really got I understood I think the the draw the pull the tug of Ignatian spirituality uh, for our students, um, and it was truly a, a remarkable experience. And then I think the last moment uh, that I would share is is uh, is the moment um, that uh, uh, we had just this past semester, just before you know the pandemic took it all away. Uh, we we started this this uh, this new retreat called the Contemplation Retreat on the Sushi Pay of Saint Ignatius, um, and just the students who were there, uh, and and to see their 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 the level uh, with which they understood uh, Ignatian spirituality was was truly mind-boggling to me. Uh, and I thought to myself, when I was in college, huh. I was nowhere near where these guys are right now. Um, and uh, it kind of knocked my socks off just thinking about it. Uh, so I sat back and I watched. Um, and then of course we came back and three days later we were, we were, uh, out of there yeah. so yeah yeah so. They're, they're incredible aren't they yeah yeah they are best students by far that i have ever worked with yeah um yeah yeah i gotta get ask you a follow-up question just because a student asked you a question from your previous podcast that ties so so well to what you're talking about with ignatian spirituality um the student said that that um she was just mind blown at how long you had done ministry without Ignatian spirituality. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of funny because like our students are like, are so bought into Ignatian spirituality and so bought into the Jesuit mission that they can't even imagine a world outside of it, you know? So the question is, um, let me just read so I don't, um, so you had a long career before encountering Ignatian spirituality um, how has learning about Ignatian spirituality changed the way that you minister, um, but then also in your own life? So, like, is there any any big things that changed when you first encountered Ignatian spirituality? Because you had, like, how many years was it before you came in contact with the Jesuits? Uh, I was in ministry for 22 years before I came to John Carroll. Yeah. All right. So, so here, here's the deal. Um, you know, coming into a nation spirituality, I think I mentioned it, it felt like coming home. 
because Ignatian spirituality is so scripturally based, so gospel based. And of course, my love and my, 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 uh, my real area of focus in ministry has always been scripture. So, so that was a kind of an easy, easy uh, movement for me. I didn't, I did not know <laughs> when I, when I was coming here for the interview, uh, I, I, I read uh, the autobiography of, of St. Ignatius. I also read, you know, almost everything I could get my hands on, <laughs> you know? So, so since we did have the internet in 2003, uh, I was able to log on and, and, and Google uh, Ignatian spirituality. So I had, I had the knowledge up, you know, in, in my head, uh, but it wasn't, it didn't make its home in my heart yet. Um, so, so I think I think what I love about the story of Saint Ignatius, and about Ignatian spirituality is, it is it is by far uh, it makes it makes the most sense to me because Ignatius talked about this affective response we have to God, uh, that that uh, that that we need to pay attention to how how our heart is being moved, you know, day to day, moment to moment. And it's these movements that Ignatius talks about that reveal more to us uh, about our relationship with God than anything else in our life does. So, so uh, I was I, I think it's it was in learning to pay attention to the movements of my heart that I that I really came to a, a much better understanding, clearer understanding, and and uh, a more more of a comfort level with all of Ignatian spirituality. And of course the verbiage, you know, God in all things, you know, uh, a cura personalis, uh, you know, magis, uh, you know, all of these things that ad majorum de glorum, I mean, all of these things that outside of Ignatian circles, you know, don't mean a whole heck of a lot. So yeah, all my life. I mean, I never went to a Jesuit school, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I didn't, I, I, I wasn't in a Jesuit parish. I didn't, you know, this is just, it was, it was, uh, what you have to understand is that so the majority of Catholics had my experience, not the experience of the students at John Carroll, yeah. not the experience mm-hmm. of students at Jesuit institutions. The majority of Catholics don't know Ignatius from Francis. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Assisi, I'm talking about. So, a funny, <laughs> funny story. When I first came to John Carroll, you know, I was doing all this. I was I was putting together brochures and putting publicity out there, and and I wrote down on one of the brochures, "Join us in in St. Francis Xavier Chapel." It's not St. <laughs> Francis Xavier Chapel. I just assumed. I didn't know that till year four. That it's I was not. Here. <laughs> you know that it was named after the St. Francis, who's who's a follower, of, uh, who's a Jesuit. So, but but no, the person who donated the money for it wanted it to be ambiguous. You know, oh. it's it's not St. Francis of Assisi Chapel. It's not St. Francis Xavier Chapel. It's oh. St. Francis Chapel. Oh. So so yeah. yeah. So I made it. I made a mistake, and and my vice president at the time pointed that out, and uh, <laughs> it was a great pleasure. <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, yeah. So hopefully that answered the question that the student asked. Um, yeah, I think so. I love the. I just love the. It's like such a community feel in all these different terms and concepts. And I know that it seems like it can be like, what are you talking about? But then if, if you know, you really know. 
And then not to mention, it's just like cool seeing AMDG on a jersey, you know. Um, right. But if you're not from a, a Jesuit place, if you're not from an Ignatian spirituality background, spirituality background, you don't know what AMDG is. Right. You have no idea. Right. I think it's like a rock group or something. <laughs> yeah. You could Google it, right? They could Google That's it. That's right. They could Google it. John, I'm curious about what you what you dream about. Um, you know, maybe for our church, for um, for our great. campus ministry. Um, I think I was kind of thinking of it when you're talking about the contemplation retreat coming to fruition because it seems like something that. Um, you've been dreaming or about or working on for a long time. So I was just yeah. curious, what else do you? So, so, you know, I think, I think one of the things, um, you know, when I came here in 2003, uh, I felt like I was coming into uh, a situation where uh, I, I could at least affect some change into the, what I, what I saw was kind of the creeping polarization of our church. Um, well, 18 years later, we're still, we're still dealing with the polarization. So if I had a dream, it would be that there would, there would no longer be these, these divisions, uh, these issues where, where we could, we could say, well, I don't quite agree with the way you believe, um, but there's enough room at the table uh, mm -hmm. for, 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 for us both to sit down um, and be Catholics, you know? So, rather than the narrowing uh, of the definition of what it means to be Catholic, my, my, my wish, my dream would that it would be uh, the broadening of the idea of what it means to be Catholic. Because I do think there are Catholics on the extremes of both ends. This is why when I, when I orient uh, folks, I talk about stretching to the middle mm -hmm. so that we can talk to each other and we're not screaming at each other from the ends from the extremes. So I, I just, I feel like we are, we are, we are modeling our culture in, in, in the, in this divisiveness, uh, in this inability to see the other or to accept the other. Um, and, and that's just not, not the place I think our church should be. Um, you know, when Jesus sat down with people, right, he, he, he ministered to every single one, one that came to him. I don't think I don't think it was about you know whether you agree with me or disagree with me, you know when a Pharisee invited him to dinner he went, when a tax collector you know appeared I mean he 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 ate dinner with the tax collector, he ate dinner with the people that he did not think, uh, uh, the way they thought, um, and so I, I think we need to be we need to be more along those lines we have to be prophetic in ways that we can be prophetic uh, and we have to be less judgmental and, and less hurtful in our rhetoric. Uh, and so um, unfortunately, you know, when you, when you do one thing, the other, the other group will say, well, you know, since he's doing this, since he's marching for Black Lives Matter, he must not be uh, um, a friend to pro-life Catholics or something silly like that, mm -hmm. which I think if people know me, they know that I am, I am, uh, I am adamantly pro-life. And that, mm -hmm. that is from 
you know, being anti-abortion to being anti-death penalty. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's the same issue to me. It's, it's human dignity. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the same with the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, everybody is deserving of dignity. Um, and, and when you find a group that's, that's particularly um, being oppressed, mm -hmm. you navigate, you gravitate towards that person because they're the one who needs your love and care and attention. You know, I think mm -hmm. Jesus got that. Matthew 25, you know, yeah. uh, did you feed the hungry? Did you visit the sick and in prison? Did you give mm -hmm. drink to the thirsty? When you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Mm -hmm. um, so, mm -hmm. yeah. Gustavo Gutierrez, when I took a class with him, told a great story. He said, imagine there's an elephant in a room and there's a mouse, you know, and say the mouse is Black Lives Matter. Um, so, there's an elephant in the room. Now, all lives are, you know, worthy of dignity. Everyone is loved by God and made in his image and likeness. Yet, what if you do nothing? If you do nothing, what happens in that room? You know, the mouse is going to get squashed. Probably. So you Most likely, eventually, over time. So yeah. that's what our job is. Our job is to accompany, you know, those on the margins and those who need the extra help, like the mouse. Um, That's right. That. That's right. And not to abandon the elephant. Not to abandon right? the elephant. Mm -hmm. So even though maybe our, my heart is tugging me to one end, uh, I cannot abandon the other. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and sometimes that's hard. In fact, well, let me re retract that. That's always hard. <laughs> it's always hard. So... Yeah. Thanks, John. Yeah. My question from you stems from one of the lessons I learned from you early in ministry. I had come from a career in an academic side of the house. So I was very used to rules and deadlines and sort of yes and no answers. And I remember at some point in my first or second year of ministry, you taught me some valuable lessons about mercy. You know, hmm. you were basically like, no, we need to give them another chance. We need to let them in again. We need to welcome them back into the fold. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how mercy plays out in your ministry day to day and just share with us some thoughts on mercy. I, I think that's a great question. I think, I think you learn more about mercy when, when you need it. Um, you know, and so when I look back at my life and, and know how often, you know, I screwed things up, uh, I needed somebody to, to bring me back in. Um, and, and it, it's always hard and it's always humbling, but I also know, especially from a student's perspective, uh, they have very, uh, for the most part, they're, they're fragile. Like we're fragile. Uh, they're fragile and young, which is a bad combination. Uh, you know, so, so. When, when I see a, a student who seems to be, you know, uh, who, who has just had um, his or her uh, uh, ego bubble burst, you know, that's the student that, that uh, I think we need to be attentive to. And even more so if we're the ones who burst that ego, um, which oftentimes we do without even knowing it. Um, so, so... <laughs> You know, I, I have to, I have to keep remembering, reminding myself that, that if I want something done, uh, I have to, I have to accept uh, the gifts, the talents and the way that the student has done it rather than 
put on my own expectations of the way I would have done it. I'll be honest, every time I've asked a student to give a talk on a retreat, the talks have always been wonderful, but I always thought, well, they could have done this. They should have done that. I wish they didn't say this. You don't say this, use this language when you're giving a talk, you know, this kind of stuff. Or counting the number of times somebody says, um, or you know, uh, right. these kinds of things. I think we can be kind of, you know, those kinds of things I have to keep to myself. Uh, and, 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 I think when you build somebody up, you're building up something that's going to last a lot longer than correcting them for something that that for a bar that you set. Uh, so so mercy mercy is 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 necessary for me, and so f it's it's also necessary for me to be as merciful um, with others. Thank you, John. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. This is the question that I thought would be interesting. Uh, I'm going to give you two choices, but because um, I've heard this question asked a couple ways. But the first option number one goes like this: um, In your 18 years of ministry, well, actually, just in your in your years of ministry, what was your biggest failure? Option number two: <laughs> in, in your years of ministry, what was your biggest um, like pivotal pivotal moment? like pivotal shift, like something happened, like I'll never do things again the same type of thing. Um, so you choose. <laughs> wow, uh, my biggest failure. And I have a lot, lot to choose from, um, a lot. Uh, so so let me just think of one. I was, a, uh, a, this, was this was my first year at the University of Miami. And uh, I was doing a retreat with the uh, with the other campus ministers in the diocese. Okay, so I was preparing students for this retreat, and and we had one one young man uh, who was a non traditional age student. He was actually a little bit older than I was, um, and I met with him probably three or four times before this retreat, and um, and he was he had he really kind of had. Uh, um, we had a, we established this relationship and and I, I I thought that the reason he was going on this retreat was really to continue this this uh, this relationship that we had um, and what I didn't tell him was that I wasn't going to be on the retreat that I had uh, I had my 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 parents were coming down I was in Miami Florida my parents were coming down from Pennsylvania. And that was the only weekend they were that I was going to be able to see them. So, so I, I knew that I wasn't going on this retreat that I was going to spend time with my parents. Well, I didn't tell him. I should have told him. Uh, he went on the retreat. You know, on the first night of the retreat, when he realized I wasn't there, he had kind of a breakdown, and uh, he left in the middle of the night. And I got a call the next day from the Dawson director uh, of, of, uh, of campus ministry. And he laid into me and I, and I, I was, I was, I was uh, really, I was really taken aback. And at the same time, I was very defensive in saying that I didn't need to be there and blah, blah, blah. And the bottom line is uh, I realized, you know, uh, after agonizing and losing sleep that I really should have told this young man uh, and the only reason I didn't tell him was because I thought maybe he wouldn't go. Hmm. Uh, 
and and it was a very selfish uh, thing that could have been handled very easily um, if I had just been honest with him. Mm. So so uh, I didn't want to I didn't want to tell him something he didn't want to hear. And 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 so that that's a great lesson learned and a and a mistake that that uh, I will I still remember to this day. I still remember the kid. Yeah. You know, and, and and by the way, he never ever stopped by the Catholic Student Center again. Wow. It was over. It, that oh was it. no, that was it. Uh, and the second part of your question is is uh, is a great lesson. Um, you know, this is a lesson that I often go back to, and that is uh, the whole idea of I've been in ministry for a long time, and the whole idea of burnout is something that's very real. I can't tell you how many campus ministers that I have seen come and go. And that I have, I have seen just burn out. Uh, and I thought to myself, well, why aren't I burning out? What is it? What is it that I've chosen to do or the path that I've taken? I've never thought to myself, I'm done with this. Um, and I think it's this. I think, I think when you stray from your area of giftedness, hmm. you burn out. Huh. Uh, and, and, and so what I mean by that is, um, is I've always, I've always maintained this, this, you know, these these relationships with with students, with spiritual direction, with accompaniment, with scripture, uh, that that have been consistent over my time in ministry, and I've never ventured into something that I don't think that I am gifted in. Uh, it's just not who I am. Um, so, uh, so, so th think about that for your own. Your own sense. I've always told you. I think, Anne, you probably know. I I, I love when a, when a new campus minister comes in to ask them what they're passionate about, because that's the area I want them to work in. Exactly. You know? Because if you're working in an area that you're passionate about, then you're you're going to do well in that area, um, because you're using your gifts. Mm -hmm. um, and and when you're not working in an area that you're passionate in, it becomes work. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. rather than rather than uh a calling uh and a relationship so very wise john i don't know if that mm -hmm. answered your question joel but that's where i'm yeah. at <laughs> that was awesome thank you for that thank john you. we probably have just about one more question for today because we're almost at time and i think you have so many gifts in ministry which is why we wanted to interview today about your wisdom but one sticks out above all, which is your gift for making people feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. You have an ability where people just take all their armor off when they're in a room with you, um, which I think is so unique and, and is why we all love working for you and we consider you our, our friend and and confidant i mean i mean i remember many times crying in john's office not expecting to cry but <laughs> you just asked the right question at the right time so i was wondering how do you welcome people how do you make them feel comfortable can you give some tips um to our listeners am i here could do, do yep. you guys yep yep okay so really really quickly and because I, I don't know what's going on <laughs> <laughs> just the the idea of making somebody comfortable i think people want to have a chance to tell their story mm -hmm. um so so i spend a lot of time asking questions and and i i because because i i think when you ask questions 
about something, about someone, they, they get the impression, they understand that you care, mm -hmm. uh, that they are important, um, and that it's not you that's important. It's not your time to, to throw a lot of stuff out there. It's, 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 about, it's about this encounter. It's about this relationship. You know, and in all honesty, I mean, uh, uh, we we have to we have to get to the point where we are we are we are not condescending in our interactions with students. Mm -hmm. um, we don't pontificate. Uh, what you know, when you think about what kind of encounter you don't like, you know, I don't like uh, to be preached to. I don't like to be. Um, I don't like uh, uh, the idea of clericalism. Uh, that I'm more important to you because of my position or, 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 or because of what I'm wearing or anything like that. Uh, just the idea is, is, you know, if everybody could realize that they're a child of God and I'm a child of God, you know, and that we can start off there. Um, and, and that's sometimes a really difficult place to start because we want, because, you know, I want to say, Hey, you know, I could be your 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 father, and, and you know, I could be your grandfather. <laughs> you know? But the idea the idea is that, that I can learn from them, um, mm -hmm. and, and I really think this is important uh, as much as they can learn from me, um, because we all have a unique relationship with a God who loves each of us individually and unconditionally. So beautiful. Thank you, know. you John. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. We've really enjoyed this conversation. I want to keep going. <laughs> well, we have to end for today. Thank you, folks. Thank um, you, John. It's good being with you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for Faith That Does Justice podcast. And we'll see you hopefully next week. Be safe. Stay well. <laughs>